and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me from the Batcave is Sean. Hey, Scott. It's good to talk to you again. I'm in the Batcave. <laughs> I'm looking at the Bat computer right now in the Bat cappuccino machine. It's all well labeled. Yes, I can't miss it. Bat toilets over there. <laughs> yep. Well, this week we went into the Wayback Machine and we watched Batman, or as it's commonly referred to now, Batman 66, starring the great Adam West as Bruce Wayne slash Batman and Burt Ward as Dick Grayson slash Robin. And it should be said right now, off the bat, Scott, before we get going, that Adam West is possibly the greatest actor to have ever lived. Oh, he's so great. And will ever live. It reminds me of that. I sound like that guy from that Saturday Night Live sketch that Will Ferrell plays. I forgot his name. The Inside the Actor Studio. <laughs> James Lipton. Jim James Lipton, yeah. He's the greatest that will ever be. His works are timeless. Adam West. He is scrum trelescent. Scrum trelescent. <laughs> His works are a thing of beauty. <laughs> I love those skits. That's another podcast. Yes. So for the podcast, we watched the first episode of the series in which the dynamic duo encounters the diabolical trickster known as the Riddler. Some people may have heard of him before. Yes. <laughs> no. Not a very well-known Batman villain, but you know. <laughs> they started out strong. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There, there's certainly some uh, sillier, lesser-known villains later on in the series. But uh, this first episode, it was entitled High Diddle Riddle. It was written by Lorenzo Semple Jr. and directed by Robert Butler. It aired on ABC on Wednesday, January 12th, 1966. Or as the TV Guide called it back in 1966, Hey Diddle Diddle, because they couldn't understand her did a misprint of High Diddle Riddle, or High Riddle Diddle. <laughs> Confusing, it's not just pilot. I wish it was just pilot, but, you know, they had to throw it out there, so. No, they definitely had a formula here. You know, you were going to see one episode, and then you were going to see part two of that episode, the next day basically an hour episode for the week broken up over two days and the titles of each episode kind of rhyme i believe they all rhyme yeah pretty much or they they play off each other definitely because the, and, part two of this this the second episode which we will do very soon in another episode of the podcast is entitled smack in the middle yeah well it's the hook you know they had to get these kids hooked the 60s and it worked this was yeah. wildly popular when was the first time you saw this sean Oh, man, I, I actually think I, well, I can't tell, because the movie is so similar to the episodes. I could have seen, I don't know which one I saw first. Oh, yeah, yeah. I might have seen the movie first, you know, of course, in reruns, mid-80s. You know, when I was a kid, I was definitely young. I was, you know, my first recollections, I mean, probably five, six, seeing the show. Mm -hmm. um, I loved it. Yeah, I mean, it, it really got me into Batman, I would say, um, even though it's probably the silliest version of Batman that could possibly be. But, you know, for a kid, it's it's cool. It's, you know, it's just a funny show. Yeah. I, mean, I think my my parents were into it, too, when they were kids. My mom especially remember seeing it, so. Yeah, it's a great yeah. show for the whole family, really. Yeah, yeah. It's no, you know, it's not, it doesn't have the violence of the newer Batman movies. No no Banes coming in to break Batman's spine in half, but, you know, <laughs> you get the, it's, it's just very silly, and it, it's you can see it's designed for kids, and it's based off the comic as much as they, they could with the 60s. 60s flair, I guess you can say. Oh, yeah. Very campy. Yeah, very campy. I mean, the villains aren't... They're villains, but they're not, you know, horrific serial killer villains. You're not looking at the Heath Ledger Joker here. No. Yeah, and the same thing with all, you know, 
the Penguin. It's pretty famous actors, too, and actresses who played these parts. I'm trying to think. Who played Penguin? Burgess Meredith, right? Yep, Burgess Meredith. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a hard one to forget. Cesar Romero, of course. Julie Newmar was in this. Again, very campy. Very, I mean, it's the first show, and probably the only show, that ever used the POW and the different explanations when there was a fight sequence going on, so you actually didn't see anything, really. (laughs) You know, big POW zap, which I don't think I've ever heard in a fight before. But, yeah, just a fun show for kids. I mean, looking at it as an adult, I mean, it still has that... It's, it doesn't lose much, really. I mean, it's it's still funny. It's still, you know, of course, it, it seems a little less serious seeing the newer Batman movies and series and everything, but it, it's unique. Yeah, and you're, you're able to appreciate it on a different level when you get older, you know, but it's oh, yeah. it's still great. You know, Adam West playing this so dead serious. It, it's it's so awesome to watch. Uh, he's funny. I like Adam West. And he's he's done so many different other roles since this. Like, you know, he's, he's one of the, main characters, I would say, or definitely a, a secondary supporting character, main supporting character of Family Guy, yeah. playing himself. It's <laughs> <laughs> the mayor of Quahog as himself, so that's very interesting. Yeah. And, you know, he's just, of course, he's done one of our favorite shows of all time. Remember what that was, Scott? You talking about the failed pilot, Lookwell? Of course, yes. Yes. Probably his second most famous role. And he's really, you know, Adam West is a good sport. He's really latched on to this role of uh, Batman and Bruce Wayne. You know, he did this 40 years ago, but he still, well, it's 50 years ago at this point. He still goes to conventions occasionally, and he still, you know, embraces the character. Him and Burt Ward, I don't know the name of it, I forget, but they did a animated Batman cartoon very recently, like this year. Oh, wow. That was released with their voices. It's really funny, but it's based on the style of the 60s uh, Batman. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah and, yeah, and there was a comic book series not too long ago, Batman 66. And there was also some crossover titles. And so, yeah, I mean, this keeps going. I mean, uh, you and I picked up Batman 66 action figures not too long ago. Oh, I love mine. Still in the box. (laughs) I I look at it once in a while and talk to it. So, culturally, this had such a giant impact. I mean, mean, it still goes on. They just had the release of the DVDs and the Blu-ray sets that were a big success. Yeah. People still love this show very much. I think this is realistic to say that when people think of Batman, this is one of the first images in most people's minds that you know, pops into their mind is, is this show and this version of Batman. Sure. So it definitely, like you said, it has that, that pop culture type of influence and it's very, uh, very popular. I was going to say, you know, my dream is to meet Adam West at a Comic-Con type situation. <laughs> we missed the opportunity, you know, me and you a couple of years ago, we should have gone for it. And I will gladly pay the next time that he is in town or around our area to do like the Adam West experience where you pay, you know, more than the usual person mm-hmm. to get into a Comic-Con type situation to go and actually do like a meet and greet and, you know, have a little, you can hear his experiences and stuff. I, I am going to do that next time it comes around <laughs> because I, I need to say hello to Adam West. It's one of my bucket list things. That'd be great. Yes. For an extra 50, he'll call you chum. Yeah, yeah, he better for extra fifty. <laughs> call me, call me Robin for an extra fifty. Are you kidding me? This is a, a show that I watched first on the FX network when it was brand new, and uh, I, I think I've told you about this, Sean. I I loved the FX network when I was like I don't know eleven, twelve years old. I forget when when it came on the air, and yeah. it was really cool. A lot of people probably don't remember or realize that when FX started, it wasn't like an edgier version of Fox, like it tries to be now. It was this really quirky 
television channel based in an apartment in New York City. Yeah. It started with a live morning show. Uh, it went to a live uh, collectible show in the afternoon. Uh, there were uh, there was a live music show. But, like, different things were, like, the collectible show, the morning show, those were set in the living room of the apartment. Uh, there were people sitting around the kitchen table talking about music later on at night for a music show. Uh, early, early morning, there was a, a feedback show where you could write letters and the host uh, Jeff Probst pre-survivor would uh, would read your letters in a show called Back Chat so there was all kinds of crazy stuff going on all within the apartment i thought that was like the coolest thing as a kid and i used to watch a lot of those shows but of course they couldn't just film 24 hours a day in this one apartment so it was broken up with a lot of cheap syndicated shows some were owned by fox uh, like In Living Color, which was awesome. I watched In Living Color all the time. And Batman 66 was very frequently shown on that network. So I, I pretty much got my fill of In Living Color and Batman 66 watching the early days of FX. Yeah, I don't remember that version of FX, but, you know, what's become now, like you said, it's edgier version of Fox. And it's, it's sad, you know, not jumping off topic too much, but how channels really take that turn after being alive for a while. I remember something similar with uh, the Sci-Fi Channel mm-hmm. uh, when that came went live in I have to say it's like ninety mid nineties yep. I forget what day it was but I remember I had a satellite dish at the time like one of those big dishes that would actually turn like a twelve footer or, or six foot no not twelve footer six footer <laughs> it actually connected different satellites and everything and there was a a channel I'm being a teenager in the summer and they had like a preview channel for the Sci-Fi Channel where it was just like a, a countdown timer. And, like, a, this alien that popped up, and it was, like, an alien background, and it said, like, you know, 15 days until the launch of it. And I remember just being so excited about that and <laughs> watching the Sci-Fi Channel when it first came on. It had a lot of things, like, you're talking about a lot of cheaper shows when it first started and some original stuff, but not as much. Mm-hmm. And now it's, like, I <sighs> Sci-Fi Channel is all messed up. I can't even tell, you know, what's on that channel. I, I wouldn't want to watch anything on that channel. It's more fantasy-type stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, these these channels have, I think it's not a bad thing, almost have like a TV land for this kind of stuff, which is not a great channel. Um, <laughs> and it's too bad sometimes when they become a little more popular where they can put out, Yeah, they do put out some good shows, granted, but, you know, Batman is, is lost, unfortunately. And, but that's on DVD, like you said, and Blu-ray, so yeah, you can watch it anytime you want. A lot of times, I, I think a lot of new channels, you know, will will pick up cheap syndicated shows. You know, that's what happened with FX in the mid-90s. They were picking up uh, Vegas and Heart to Heart, A Family Affair, uh, you know, just like very, very cheap programming. And, and that happens quite a bit. So, like, when we had a channel recently uh, pop up called The Hub, do you remember that channel? Yeah, yeah. That's gone. But that, that channel was cool, too. That started out with uh, Transformers, ALF. Batman 66, and some other shows. So it was like, oh, great, I can watch Batman 66 again. Because this was, you know, at a time when it wasn't really on syndication anymore. And this was before the DVDs came out. So, yeah, yeah, that was a great time, too, to revisit a lot of the series. So finally, we can lock them down on DVD or Blu-ray and have them for good. Yes, yeah. So... Just going back to uh, this episode, uh, this was, like I mentioned, it was written by Lorenzo Semple Jr. He was a guy that also wrote for The Green Hornet, and that was another series pretty similar to Batman, not as campy, uh, but that ran around the same time as this series. In fact, it also aired on FX, which was pretty funny. 
Lorenzo Semple Jr. also wrote on many movies. He also wrote the screenplay for Never Say Never Again. That was Sean Connery's unofficial James Bond movie from 1983. Has to remake a Thunderball, I believe, right? Yeah, in a in a way. Yeah, yeah in a way. And as I mentioned, this was directed by Robert Butler, and this isn't his only experience working with DC characters. He also directed some episodes of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is kind of funny. And he was also the director of the original Star Trek pilot, The Cage. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a good one. If you haven't seen The Cage ever, watch it. I don't believe there's any Captain Kirk in that one, if I remember correctly. <laughs> it's, it's Christopher Pike. Yes. In that episode, before he turns into the, goes into the, you know, wheelchair machine. Beep, beep. Beep, 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 yeah. <laughs> Interesting thing about uh, Batman, the series in, in general, lasted three seasons, 120 episodes, believe it or not. Yeah, that's we crazy. We talked about this before. They, they really went crazy. I mean, that's a lot of episodes for three seasons. They went nuts on, especially season two was this huge amount of episodes. I think it was like, what did we say? 50 episodes or something in season two? It's something like that. Yeah, we were looking, uh, previous to our recording, Sean and I were looking at the box sets, and season two is broken up into two box sets for the DVDs, so it's like a double-sized season. It's crazy, and, you know, that they would squeeze that many episodes of this into three seasons, but usually that's, you know, if you think a typical show, you know, has how many episodes? 20, 25 at the the max, typically? Yeah. I mean, maybe 25. I'm thinking like an office-type show, you know, half-an-hour-type show. Yeah. Be at 75 by the end of season three. So they're at 120. (laughs) Interestingly, I found, I thought this was very funny. Well, well, one one interesting point I found out about it is you mentioned the Green Hornet and Kato and the fact that they were actually on Batman. I don't know if you knew that. Yes, yeah. Um, There was a Batman episode... The Spell of Tut, which is on 1966, so it been the first season. They made Bruce, and Bruce Lee played Kato mm-hmm. and the Green Hornet, so he was, Bruce Lee was on Batman, which is interesting to see. And that there were, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine episodes that were actually based directly on Batman or other Batman related comics. Huh. From the, you know, 50s and 60s. Yeah. Including this Hey Diddle Riddle, or Hi Diddle Riddle, excuse me. And Smack in the Middle, the first two episodes, or the first episode, I guess you can say, mm-hmm. was based on The Remarkable Ruse of the Riddler, which is Batman 171 from May 1965. Oh, wow. Okay. It has some of the, definitely the features we see in this episode, like the Mohill mob. Very similar plot to that issue of Batman. You could see, so they basically took that from the year previous to, you know, recording the first season and convert this into an uh, episode of Batman. Also, one other interesting thing I found out about this the series, which I didn't know until I read, actually, the Wikipedia page about it. So ABC had the show for the first three seasons, mm-hmm. and the ratings were dropping by the end of the third season, and ABC was going to cancel it. But NBC, like they do you know, nowadays, so I think of Supergirl going from CBS to the CW. Sometimes it happens. They, you know, they find life on another network, these shows, if they're canceled by one of the big three, I guess you could say, or big four. Yeah, yeah. NBC wanted to, to take over and have a, a fourth series or fourth season of, of Batman. But before it could go, you know, and be finalized this deal, they saw that somebody destroyed all the sets of Batman. <laughs> and they cost like hundreds of thousands of dollars to build these sets when they were initially built. So NBC bailed on it when they found out that they weren't going to have, you know, the sets. Wow. Um, so, that, so that killed the Batman. It could have gone on for who knows how many more seasons. At least four, another season, but... 
probably would have hit 200 episodes with one more season. Yeah, I mean, probably, you know, it could have gone 10 seasons and been like 4,000 episodes. <laughs> could have gone to the 80s. That would have been funny, huh? That would have been hilarious, sure. Like 1981 version of, uh, who would be the guest stars in 1981? Oh, man. Say, the cast of Dallas would be coming on, you know, Batman and uh, <laughs> Mr. Roper could have been, um, I think he could be, he could have been that, that uh, guy from the Superman comics. Mr. Misipwix, whoever his name is. <laughs> you know, we're trying to think of what villains haven't they used, but they use so many villains in this series from the comics. Uh, even uh, multiple actors playing the same villain, you know, as we'll talk about Frank Gorshin playing the Riddler brilliantly on this series, but John Aston yeah. also had played the Riddler at, at some point. There were even three Catwomen, if you consider yes. Lee Merriweather playing her in the movie. Uh, Eartha Kitt, as well as uh, Julie Newmar in the series. There were two Which actors that yep. played uh, Mr. Freeze. Uh, it's just uh, on and on. There, there was just, I mean, when, once you get to King Tut and the Clock King and Egghead, although Vincent Price was amazing as Egghead, but these are very lower tier villains. You know, you kind of run out. Yes. Well, they, they should have the Justice League tie-in to this. That would have been fantastic. Well, you know, there was a Legends of the Superheroes special which you can get it's actually from an amazon service that does like a direct to dvdr yeah and you can get that legends of the superheroes uh, special which features kind of like a um i think there's kind of like a, a mini version of an episode but then basically they gather all the superheroes together and it's almost like a roast or something it's really stupid but uh batman and robin burt ward and Adam West are in there, as well as uh, Hawkman and I think White Canary and uh, White Canary, wow, or Black Canary, one of the Canaries. No, I think everybody but Superman is in there. Huh? It's pretty weird, but worth worth checking out. That is interesting. I think there's clips on YouTube. Yeah, but probably the best place to get it, and and you could test drive it to see if you want to actually go through and get buy the actual <laughs> full series. Great thing about YouTube. It should be noted too that the Batman movie. Um, is, is on Netflix if you want to watch just a movie oh, nice. um, and not want to invest in the series or if you can't invest in the series. It is, at, at the time of this recording, um, it is on uh, Netflix. Awesome. And it's worth watching to see Batman fight off a shark. With a noble porpoise. <laughs> noble porpoise. <laughs> <laughs> and also one other thing before we start the actual review uh, of the episode this year, two television critics, Alan Seppenwilt and Matt Zoller-Sitz, read Batman as the 82nd greatest American television show of all time. Wow. I'm surprised it wasn't in the top 10, but what are you going to do? I guess MASH has to be there somewhere. MASH, Seinfeld, I Love Lucy. Yeah. I'm sure Mad Men and some of the other... Hogan's Heroes is obviously in the top 10. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> On that, we should four. get right into this episode. Yes. All right, so getting into this episode, we open on the Gotham City World's Fair. Of course, this is a real World's Fair. Uh, but as we see the many people walking around the different exhibits, we hear the narrator address us. You think Gotham City is a peaceful city? Ho, ho, ho! Put your gum under your seats, hold your breath, and get ready to cheer Batman and hiss his diabolical enemies. Hissable enemy number one is now about to strike. And, ho, ho, ho. I know. Ho, ho, ho. And uh, we next see a very ornately decorated building at the World's Fair. Uh, it's told to us that it's representing the Republic of Moldavia. And uh, we cut to the interior. We see these regal horns are playing as dignitaries are gathered together for 
uh, what's called the Prime Minister's Friendship Luncheon, which is just one of the activities of the Moldavian Fiesta Week. Moldavia is a real country, by the way. It, Look it up. It was. Um, well, there is Moldova yeah. currently, but Moldavia was a real European principality from the 14th to the 19th centuries. Right now, like, Romania and Moldova pretty much cover that area that it contained. Yes. Like, it would have been, it would be broken up over those two countries if you were to trace it out now. Kind of a country. It's it's based on a real place. Yes. Yes. It's okay. not Latveria say that. or yes. any place like that. So, anyway, uh, speaking to the entire group gathered, the Prime Minister announces that he will unveil Moldavia's greatest treasure, which is behind him on a platform draped in cloth. But before he does this, he announces that uh, there will be first a small ceremony. So he calls in two assistants to bring into the room a large cake topped with Uncle Sam shaking hands with another figure. I'm presuming that this is a Moldavian. That's the Moldavian Uncle Sam. Okay. Yes. So the prime minister tells the crowd that it is a traditional Moldavian friendship cake. And as he slices into it with a large knife, the cake explodes, sending everybody in the room into a panic. The Prime Minister is thrown to the ground, and he's shouting, and he's covered in cake crumbs. Can I tell you something about this cake? Yeah. It, if I received a cake like this, I would not consider that a sign of friendship. <laughs> it looked like garbage. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, just the figures on it, it was just a garbage cake. It's something that, you know, even the worst supermarket chain would not put out. It, it's pretty basic. It's pretty It's pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, you expect a, a, a you know... A cake from a, a major European uh, republic to be a little more ornate than this garbage. Yeah. So they, they took this out of like the, the Edmonds Isle of, uh, <laughs> you know, Moldavia's supermarket or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. They slap these action figures on the top and call a day. <laughs> anyway. So the police now, with their guns drawn, they look around for any culprits. Uh, one of them looks up to the ceiling and they notice a small parachute that was launched from the cake. And now it's slowly coming back to the floor. Attached to this parachute is a rolled up note which reads, Why is an orange like a bell? So we next mm. cut to the office of Commissioner Gordon, played by Neil Hamilton, where he reads the note. And Chief O'Hara, played by Stafford Rep, recognizes this note as the work of the Riddler. Yes. Now, just uh, on a side note here, Neil Hamilton, he was 66 when this series made its debut. His, uh, his first role was in the film The Beloved Imposter from 1918. Wow. Yeah, I looked him up on IMDb and I'm like, whoa, this goes way back. Uh, he later got his big break from uh, D.W. Griffith in 1923's The White Rose. And by the mid-1920s, he was actually one of Paramount's leading men. And he's still alive today. <laughs> no, that's not true. Unfortunately, past, but well, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't look it amazing. up, so he might be. I doubt it, but it, you know, who knows? If you're yeah. if you're listening, Mister Hamilton, I apologize for Sean. <laughs> I think he's still alive. I mean, I'm saying he's still alive. I so. hope he is. I'm not going to look. No, don't look. But, don't look, but what he'll, a he'll pass away. But what a great career for this guy. I mean, he was a huge movie star from the birth of movies, essentially. And now here he is at 66 years old in one of the greatest series of all time. Now, do you think that maybe he felt this is a step down in his, his uh, career by doing this show? I don't Seriously. know. I don't, he's got I mean, to. He's 66, and <laughs> he's, been, he's been Hollywood since, like you said, it was it, it was born, basically. Yeah. And now he's like, oh, man, I got to do this this stupid show. And, you know, I, I'm not even Batman. I played the police commissioner. And it's like, oh. Who knows? Only only he could say, and unfortunately, 
as we we think he's not with us anymore. Yeah. So, but yeah, you know, who knows? Especially the pilot episode, he could have been like, "Oh, this is just a paycheck." I, yeah, what is what this? Thinking? Yeah, what is what is this? I mean, do you think he knew what Batman was? He probably didn't read comic books or anything. <laughs> you know, like, oh, this reminds me of Alec Guinness with Star Wars. You know, it's like, what is like, this? What what is this? You know, I need to pay off my condo. I need. To- <laughs> <laughs> That's what this is. The paycheck. Uh, so. After every leader on the Gotham police force declines to take up the challenge of trying to defeat the Riddler, the attention of everybody in the room goes towards the red, glass-covered telephone in Commissioner Gordon's office. You know, the funny thing is, I, I feel so bad for these police officers. <laughs> so sad. He asks them, can you handle it? Can you, you know, can you do this? And they're like, oh, no. No. They look down. They're all like, oh, we, we're, we're horrible. We can't, we can't take on this. You have to go to the Batman. And it's good to note, too, that only in a couple episodes, this being one of them, of course, that this actually happens. They have this, like, police conference to figure out if they can beat the, the villain mm-hmm. or, you know, do police work. Most of the time, they're like, you know what? Let's just go right to the, the bat phone. We're not going to even, you know, try to do this. Yeah. They don't have this little the convo here to see what's uh who can take the case. <laughs> The commissioner dramatically says that he does not know who the man is behind the mask, but he does know that they will call upon him when they need him, and they need him now. And it's like, of course, they will use him all the time, every time, for many years. <laughs> and we got to yeah. imagine, we're kind of in the middle of this. That's kind of like the beauty of this episode, too. This isn't an origin story. Like, now, every time you start a superhero series, episode one, guaranteed, is an origin story. This just this has already been going on for a while, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of in the middle of a situation here that's been going on for for years. And we see the uh, the bat phone is right on the desk, which is interesting. Yeah, you th- wonder if anybody's ever just picked it up by accident, you know, like the cleaning lady's in there, and you know, <laughs> she has to call a ride, and she picks up the oh, could pick up the red phone and call Bruce Wayne, picks up, and is sleeping. It's like what, what? It's like oh, sorry. Very interesting. And also, I thought about the bat phone. Because we see in the next scene that it goes right to, you know, Wayne Manor, basically. Yeah. That's where it's, it's picked up. It's not in the Batcave or anything. It's right in, you know, the study or something of Wayne Manor. Who, who paid it for this phone line, do you think? I mean, mm. who pays the bills? Is, could they, I mean, the police commissioner, you think he would maybe say, oh, let's, let's trace it and find out who this <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're paying phone for this company. thing. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if Batman sends him a bill, you know, Bruce Wayne sends him a bill or just take, you know, covers it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I got to hit the, this is an awkward point, but I have to, here's the, you know, the phone bill. <laughs> so, yeah, so from here we cut to Wayne Manor, as Sean said, the red telephone is in the living room, essentially. I'm guessing this is the living room. And uh, it starts to glow and it rings, and we see Alfred, played by Alan Napier, and he's just kind of like tidying up around there, and he walks over to the phone, he picks it up, and immediately says, I'll call him, sir. Hey, I think Police Commissioner Gordon would have uh, tried to, who is this guy, you know, picking up? Yeah. <laughs> or put two and two together, like this old British gentleman picking up the phone every time. It's like, what? Yes. Goes visits Bruce Wayne, it's the same guy, you know, same voice. <laughs> it, yeah, there's there's so much in common here. But uh, a little trivia about Alan Napier. Uh, yes. He is very British, as you can tell. He was a cousin of Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain. Really? Yeah. Wow. So uh, that's interesting. So we next see Bruce Wayne, of course, played by the great Adam West, in another room of Wayne Manor, as he tells a group of people that his resources are behind their plan for anti-crime centers in full. 
And uh, he also makes quick mention here that he wishes anti-crime centers were in existence when he was younger and his parents were murdered by dastardly criminals. Only time in the series it's mentioned. Yeah. This is the only background you get. If you didn't know why Batman was Batman, there you go. Yeah, it's like this is the only version of Batman where we pretty much don't see his parents get shot in in an alley. You know, it seems as though we see it in every adaptation now, but... Yeah, I didn't even realize this is the first time, after, you know, watching this here for the podcast. I, I didn't know that there was any mention of his parents getting murdered. I thought they was stayed away from all that dark stuff in this series, but nope. no, we get it once. Yeah, very yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I kind of want to see what an anti-crime center is. <laughs> yes. What goes on there? I mean, is that like a code name for like, a, you know, a rec center or something? Or a police station, maybe? A police station. <laughs> I think we have those, you know, sir. Typically, we call them uh, police stations, <laughs> not anti-crime centers. Oh, I'm not giving my money to a police station. I'm giving my money to anti-crime centers. <laughs> anti-crime centers have foosball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. It's one of those things they probably just threw in the script. Like, what, what's an anti-crime center? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Shut up. Just read it. <laughs> and they're, probably, you know, the city council is sitting there, and they're probably like, "Don't, don't correct them. He's giving us money. Just okay. Just <laughs> nod. Yep. Take the check." Who knows where that money went, really? I mean, come on. I know. Well, it doesn't even matter. This this story takes a, a quick right turn from this point. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the, we get the, you know, it's basically exposition for the audience. That's all this whole thing was. But uh, his moment with the crowd here, but this moment with the group is quickly interrupted by Alfred, who calls him away by very loudly whispering, yeah. The bat phone, sir. Yeah, I was thinking to myself, can you say that any louder so everyone can hear you? I mean, don't even pull him aside into a different room or say, can you, I need to see you for a second or say a code word. Yeah. I mean, maybe you should have just brought the phone to him. Yeah, you at go. that point. Here's your cowl, you know. Man. And, and you know, does it correct him? Bruce's like, oh, okay. I gotta go. So Bruce tells the group that he forgot, oh, I was going to take my young ward, Dick Grayson, fishing. It's like, yeah, what? <laughs> so you can interrupt the meeting with the city council <laughs> to go fishing. Oh, I forgot I was going fishing. So as Bruce and Alfred walk away down a hallway, they see the young Dick Grayson, of course, played by Burt Ward, along with Aunt Harriet. And uh, yeah. Bruce asks Dick if he feels like a little bit of fishing. And he replies by saying, holy barracuda, you mean? And then he remembers Harriet is standing right behind him and he continues... Sure, Bruce. Why not? Sounds swell. Now, Aunt Harriet either is, you know, the most global person in the world <laughs> because she doesn't figure out what's going on. Maybe she does know about it and just, you know, stays quiet. What's going on with these two? No, she's completely fooled at every step. She lives in the house. I know. And she doesn't figure out there's a bat cave there or what the red phone is. I wonder if she ever picks up and calls police headquarters by accident. <laughs> Hello, Batman? What do you need? This is Commissioner Gordon. Oh. <laughs> I got a real problem here with this scene with Dick also. He's supposed to be like 19 and he has that model plane in his hand. <laughs> like he's 10. Yeah. Is he 19 in the... in the? I think he's supposed to be like a late teenager at least. He's not like he's 15 or 14 or, or 10 or 12. He's supposed to be like he's... 17, 18, 19, somewhere around there. I, I think, well, he's underage, as we'll get into, because he's not allowed yes. to go into the club. So I would assume he's under 18. I, yeah, I think, I, you know. But say he's I'm 17. At 17, are you running around playing with your with toy airplane? planes? I mean, yeah, exactly. It's like, what? 
Yes, it is very bizarre that we have a 17-year-old playing with a toy airplane. Yeah. I mean, they, they could have put something else in his hand. Like a you know, baseball. A transistor, <laughs> base, a transistor radio. I mean, something. Anything. Besides a toy plane. Anything. A cigar I would have accepted more than, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, this, you know. Oh, Dick, I told him, you know, no smoking in the, in the house. Yeah, it's like, you know. Bizarre. A, a, a few seasons later, I, I think it's in the second season, whenever we get the debut of Batgirl, there's an episode where they they knock her out and bring her to the Batcave. And yeah. uh, Robin stops to, like, admire her beauty. And Batman's like, oh, becoming a man. Or something like, some comment <laughs> like that. It's like, he's 18, for goodness sakes. Like, so, yeah. No, Bruce. I mean, you know, Dick, we have to sit down and talk about the birds and the bees. <laughs> the bats and the bees. The, the bats and the bees. <laughs> and the bat bees. You know, have this awkward scene. Yeah. They sit down and had people's up the slides and oh you know when a man and woman love each other very much. There's a lot uh, of that in here though, like Batman kind of mentoring him and also like teasing him about like growing up and liking girls, yeah. like quite a bit. <laughs> I'm just thinking about this. Dick Shepard, like a, even a bottle of soda, bottle of pop <laughs> in his hand would have been better than that plane. Yes, anything. Anyway, it's a silly look for sure. It is. So now picking up the phone, Gordon tells Bruce that his old arch enemy is back on the loose and asks him to come to headquarters. So Bruce then pulls back the head on a bust of William Shakespeare, revealing a secret knob, which he then yes. turns, sliding away a bookcase, revealing the bat poles, which are clearly marked access to bat cave via bat poles. And they <laughs> slide down their individually marked bat pole and we cut to the show's opening sequence. Just in case you forgot who you were, and which side you're supposed to slide down, and that, that's where the poles went. I mean, it's one of many silly signs in this series. But uh, one time they did know. forget. There is a, there is an episode, I'm not sure which one it is. They jumped down the wrong poles. Oh, really? Yeah. I saw that one. Yeah. They, they dressed in different outfits? Did they get screwed up? or did they... No, I think it was just a production mistake that was never corrected. <laughs> <laughs> it like, so oh, it, wasn't well. it wasn't like a joke, in-joke. No, no, no. Because I, I don't know what we're supposed to believe, that the poles actually dress them, that they, like, fly down into their suits. Uh, but, yeah. That's what I always assumed as a kid. I know, me too. I mean, I always assumed there was some mechanism inside the pole area that would somehow dress them. The wedging machine. I mean, you know, the only thing I, other thing I could think of is that they go halfway down the pole... Stop at a landing. There's a wardrobe there. They get changed and they slide the rest of the way down the pole. <laughs> and it takes like 20 minutes to get down the pole, you know? Quite possibly. Because that's uh, bizarre. But maybe they, you know, Adam West and um, Burt Ward are having such a hard time remembering which pole to go down. They put those signs up just to remind them. <laughs> okay. Bruce goes. I mean, surprised they have Adam and Burt on those. You know? <laughs> no, no. You guys screwed up again. You're supposed to go down the other poles. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But this whole sequence where they have to pull back the head on the bust, or the bookcase slides away, they go down the poles, this is in the pilot, but it's also in the rest of the series as well. This is definitely something that we're well familiar with over and over again. Shakespeare, bookcase, poles. Yeah, I, I think this is probably the most insecure version of... There's different ways that, you know, Batman's gotten into the Batcave before. Mm-hmm. And this is probably the most insecure way, honestly. Oh, yeah. I remember other mediums have him going in or or changing the clock. It was behind a clock in the comics or one of the movies. Mm -hmm. And he had to, like, turn the, the dials on the clock or the, the hands on the clock to meet, meet, like, midnight or something. And it would, that would open it up. So he had to actually open up the clock face and do that. And I think one of the movies, he actually hits a few notes on the piano, if I remember correctly. Oh, okay. 
but you know it hits a, f a few notes in sequence on the p on the piano and that opens the bat cave entrance so this is something that could be easily discovered <laughs> <laughs> oh let me admire this bust of shakespeare and you know oh there's a dial here yeah not to mention he also just drives in sometimes too yeah yeah <laughs> so we got to talk about this opening sequence for the show yes this is uh Extremely famous. The The opening sequence for the series, completely animated, shows Batman and Robin being attacked by and defeating a large group of their foes, as well as some common criminals mixed in. Uh, as they punch, we get some great examples of onomatopoeia, which this series is often remembered for, as you mentioned, that, you know, zap and sock, pow, biff, bam, blap, sock, zock yeah. is even one of them. Zock. Uh, not bort. There's even wap, biff, and oof as well. One time I hit a guy and it went Zock. <laughs> it was amazing. Zock. I like at the end of the fighting sequence, they shake hands. Yes. They're like, hey, good job. Job well done. Job well done. We, we think I has major internal injuries, but that's okay. Of course, the most important thing about this opening sequence is its one word theme song. Well, two if Batman. you. <laughs> two if you count na 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 na. Well, the sha na na is, you know, obviously kind of. Sha na 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 na. Actually, the Brady Bunch, I should say. Yeah, yeah. And their song, they caught, they, I think they lifted this from uh, the Batman episode. Yeah, that's 50% there. of the words right there, sure. Well, anyway, this theme was written by Neil Hefty. And just uh, what a great contribution to the history of television by Neil Hefty. A, a two-word theme song, but so iconic. It's so great. I could see him sitting at his piano with, you know, cigarette butts all around him and, <laughs> you know, dozens of... of crumple up paper and trying to figure out like oh what should this be and just you know going over and over again uh, batman super mitt no no no, 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 no. batman <laughs> batman i know it's about batman so maybe that should be in this song batman okay no 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 oh wait a minute let me write this down batman again okay and the song is performed by the batman singers you don't know that but fun fact for you sure sure okay so, now as we return to the show, we open on the Batcave as Robin and Batman slide down the poles, of course, as we mentioned, now fully in costume. Whatever happened in between, we don't know, we don't want to know. And uh, we see that the Batcave is full of machines and contraptions, and as we mentioned, all very clearly labeled. So you gotta imagine, if this set was dismantled like you were talking about, oh man, the, the cost of, of reproducing this set, or putting it back oh, together, yeah. forget it. The Batcave is so great. Yeah, it, it is very cool. And the fact, like you said, that everything is labeled <laughs> just still blows my mind to this day. That's the stupidest part of the whole... <laughs> and it's not just the Batcave. I mean, you see other things in this episode. Later on in the episode, everything is labeled. Yeah. Even the stuff on Batman's belt is labeled. <laughs> yes. I mean... Oh, I kind of wonder if they get... You know, like, Dick gets sick of it. It's like, why do we have to have the Bat microscope labeled? I mean, you know, it's a... Why is the bat microscope, you know... Fire up the label maker, bat. chum. The bat label maker. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Batman and Robin, they run to the Batmobile, they jump in. Beautiful Batmobile here, uh, as we'll get into. But uh, Robin gives Batman a status check. They fire up the engine and they speed out. And from the outside, we see a boulder slide away from the rocky exterior. And we see the Batmobile exit the Batcave, driving over a false wooden barrier and speeding past a sign that reads, Gotham City, 14 miles. The wooden barrier cracks me up. Yes. Why would you even have that there? <laughs> I, know. I mean, that's good. That, you know, to me, makes me more interested to see what's behind the barrier. Right. Than if it was there at all. It's blocking you know, something. 
It's yes. Yeah, okay, it must be here for a reason. The police must have put it here, or you know, what is this path it's blocking? <laughs> Gee, this doesn't feel like rock. It feels like plaster. You know, it's like don't even put that there. I mean, yeah. Ay, ay, ay. So, uh, we should note that the the Bat uh, Mobile. Uh huh. It's a 1955 Lincoln Futura. Yeah. It was a, a concept car that was customized and modified by George Barris, who's, who's done a lot of that kind of work. He built the Batmobile. He built the Batmobile. We actually saw his Batmobile, or a reproduction of it, at Terrificon uh, last year. It's very cool. Yeah. Uh, it's like the, the jet in the back and everything, which, you know, of course, that's not real. But the fins on that thing and the, the dome uh, yeah. windshield, those are all part of that Futura. That's not a, a Batmobile edition, which is so no, great. Yeah, that was a whole 1950s atomic age type of car that they threw out there. Yeah. I think the customization was was actually kind of minor compared to the actual car. No kidding. It's almost like just the paint job and the logo added. And, you know, the jet engine in the back basically yeah. popped out in there. Flames pop out of it once in a while. But it's so great. It's almost like the Homer. Do you remember when Homer... Worked yes. for his half brother to create a concept car. It's almost the car for like the common that. man. Yes. <laughs> uh, so from here we're given a bat logo transition. We open on police headquarters, and here we get the title of the episode: High Diddle Riddle. High Diddle Riddle. And so we cut to Commissioner Gordon's office where Gotham City police officials are gathered with Batman and Robin. And included here is the character Inspector Bosch, played by Michael Fox. And uh, what's notable about Michael Fox is he's the reason why Michael J. Fox had to use the initial J in his yes, stage Yes, I noticed name. that too. Yep. <laughs> Poor Michael J. Fox. He's the reason why. Michael Fox here. So, yep. uh, Batman and Robin, they examine the Riddler's note and ponder the question, how is an orange like a bell? Now, I, whenever the Riddler's episodes come up, and I remember watching and, and uh, trying to figure it out on my own as well, but these things are so impossible. It's so ridiculous. And this actual riddle was pulled right from the comic. Is it um, really? Okay. Yes, yes. It's just straight from the com that, that issue. The answer is so stupid. I still don't understand it. An orange is like a bell because Robin, of course, comes up with it very quickly because we're supposed to establish that he's a, a boy genius as well. Uh, boy wonder, yes. No. <laughs> so. Yeah. They both need to be peeled. Now, we don't hear this word used too much nowadays, but peel, spelt P-E-A-L, means to ring a bell or ringing a bell loudly. Like, yeah, I guess kids in the 60s knew that. Um, I guess. That's, I've never heard that phrase before. It's actually, I'm looking at the, the shot from the comic, mm -hmm. and they have this, you know, Batman holding the, you know, the riddle, and he explains it, and it actually has, in the, the, the word bubble, because both must be peeled, and it has P-E-E. L-E-D, mm -hmm. and then P-E-A-L-E-D in quotes after it. Yeah, it's it's a it's something that only works verbally. Yeah, yeah. That's what's so strange to hear that it actually came from the comic. Yeah, well, I guess it was a common thing that all children, school children knew that, to bring a bell meant to peel it, so. Well, the, the school bell had to be peeled, and you knew it was time for school. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think it's interesting, too, that he automatically associates this with the Peel Art Gallery. Yes. After this, like it could mean a billion things, you know, Peel Street, maybe I don't know. I mean, are there other businesses with the Peel name in it? And nope, it's, it's a, it must be the art, art gallery. We gotta go. It's like what? And it's spelled P E A L E when we're talking yeah. about the art gallery. So this is the a, same thing. A third spelling of the word Peel. He's taking a leap there. I think. Yeah. He's just trying to press the police. I think. Oh yeah, I know exactly where we're going. <laughs> So, Robin, of course, yeah, so he comes up with this right away. Batman reminds the commissioner, the Riddler always leaves clues behind to confound them. You know, trying to get the audience up to speed about what they're going to be dealing with. 
And uh, Robin adds that they may or may not lead to the real crime he's planning. Well, yeah, they always do. Batman, I love the analogy here. He next says that the Riddler contrives his plots like artichokes. You have to strip off spiny leaves to reach the heart. It's like, I, I think I know what Bruce Wayne had for brunch. Yeah. So, uh, Could you use the onion analogy instead of the artichoke? I mean, okay. <laughs> so Batman reasons that the exploding cake was not the Riddler's attack on the Moldavians, but merely just a way to get Batman and Robin called in on the case. Uh, the Riddler's mind is twisted, and he's only happy when he's able to outwit Batman and Robin. So as Batman continues to explain the Riddler's psyche, he stumbles upon the true meaning of the first clue, and that's what you mentioned, the Peel Art Gallery, which yes. just so happens to be a storehouse of priceless art treasures. And uh, everyone springs into action, with Commissioner Gordon ordering Chief O'Hara to have his men stake out the art gallery like it's a circus tent. <laughs> so stupid. Okay, Chief, okay, whatever. So Batman tells the police to wait, because it, it smells like a trap. So Batman and Robin run out of the room, taking on the case just by themselves. So from here we get another Bat logo transition. We open on the Peel Art Gallery and the Batmobile Parks. And upon exiting, Batman gets a call on his Batmobile car phone. Uh, Which is shaped like a bat. Yes, of course. Just in case you understand it was a bat phone, you know. But uh, an early car phone here in pop culture. That again goes right to uh, Gotham Police Headquarters. Yes. Some somehow. <laughs> it's connected straight there. And so when he picks it up, he hears the Riddler laughing on the other end. Just laughing and laughing. Uh, then he, he mentions something like, this is a recording. It's like, <laughs> okay. And he next gives them the next riddle. Riddle me this. There are three men in a boat with four cigarettes, but no matches. How do they manage to smoke? Of course, in 1966, discussing smoking in a show directed towards kids, eh, it's not a big issue. This actually is another riddle that's lifted right from the comic also. Oh, really? Believe it or not, yep. This is a dumb riddle. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> There's been some better ones. So Batman and Robin decide that rather than wasting their time trying to ponder this riddle, they're just going to confront the Riddler themselves. Uh, Batman goes to his trusty utility belt. Now we get a the first close look at it. You see he pulls the Batarang uh, with the yep. rope, and I believe it even has Batarang labeled on yes. the utility belt. <laughs> just in case you forget what it was. He can look down and, and see it. Oh, the Batarang. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he throws it near the top of the building, and the dynamic duo now scale the side of the building. And uh, this sequence of Batman and Robin scaling the side of the building with the camera just tilted sideways. Uh, this became a hallmark of the series. These scenes often included famous cameos by celebrities, other fictional characters. Here we get no cameos. Uh, no. In fact, here's another example. We get Batman teasing Robin about his crush on the other side of town. Yes, the cute little teenager who waved at us. I think Batman's just jealous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it must be a breaking point somewhere where you know Dick's finally like, you know what, uh, you know what, Bruce, <laughs> go get a date, okay? <laughs> Come on, chum, don't be that way. But these uh, these scenes were the actors are just walking forward, holding the rope, but the camera's tilted, so it looks like they're climbing. Yes, yeah. There's... And you get the cape cape being pulled by another rope, so yes. it looks like it's falling behind them. Simulate gravity with a rope. It, uh, this rope doesn't look like it can hold up anything. By the way, no, this is not a. a this is like a, a piece of fishing wire, at, you know, at best. Yeah, and in these scenes, you know, we we would get. Uh, I think Santa Claus shows up in one episode. Um, Green Hornet and Kato. 
are in one. I think we even see people like Sammy Davis Jr., like real celebrities. That's my favorite one, yeah. Sammy Davis Jr. And those were always like, funny moments, like, hi, Batman, you know, what's going on? <laughs> oh, nothing, Santa, or nothing, Mr. Davis. You know, it's like... Junior? <laughs> junior. <laughs> <laughs> but always very, very funny. Yeah. That's how you knew how popular the show was when you start getting these celebrity uh, wall climbing uh, gags. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it got to a point where there's some very... People were asking to probably to be on the Batman wall. It was like a thing. Great you know? exposure, sure. Yeah. Sam Davis Jr. is like, oh, don't fit. forget, I'm going to be at the Mirage, you know, <laughs> April 27th through the, 20, through the 29th. It's a flawless impression. Yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm known for my Sam, my Sam Davis Jr. impression. <laughs> so as they reach the top of the building, they look through a window and they find the Riddler, played by Frank Gorshin here, of course, in his trademark green suit and black fedora, holding a gun to Gideon Peel, who is the head of the gallery, holding a cross. Now, just a side note here, Frank Gorshin, a very accomplished actor, voice actor. He was in such things as Alfred Hitchcock Presents, The Monsters, Star Trek, Hawaii Five-O, Wonder Woman. He was also in Lois and Clark. Yes. Uh, he was also on the Ren and Stimpy show, uh, 12 Monkeys. He even played another Batman villain, Professor Hugo Strange, in the 2005 animated series The Batman. So Yeah, he's... he's- my favorite Riddler by, you know, by a long shot. Oh, he's my favorite uh, bat villain altogether. Yeah, I love the suit. The suit is awesome. Just the way he plays the Riddler is awesome. I wish I had that suit. That would be so awesome <laughs> to have that. Or the hat. I mean, just a hat. Next Comic-Con going as a Riddler. I don't think I could pull it off, though. I really don't. Not when you meet Adam West. No, no. He'll probably kill me. You get zocked. You get zocked. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, you. I'll take care of you. Where's the boy wonder? <laughs> I love this part here, too, with the uh, cutting of the window bars. Yeah, the, the, the window is covered in thick iron bars. bars. So they have to they have to remove them. And, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, Robin's just going to chuck it down on the ground. <laughs> and Batman's like, oh, we have to watch out for pedestrian safety, chum. Yeah. So I guess the bat hooks out and hangs on the side of the on the wall with the bat hooks. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Carefully hangs it, but yeah, I love Robin, just a little sociopath. Let's just throw it on all the people walking (laughs) down down below. I didn't see any people at the bottom. Looks like they're in like an alley or something. I mean, at the worst, they're going to hit the car. That's true. Maybe, I don't know. I thought it was funny. A child, man, don't don't hit the, uh, I want to hit pedestrians. (laughs) Yeah, so he carefully hangs it. Of course, it would make a loud noise, too. So, you know, it's good that. They did hang the bars next to the window, and that's their way to get in. And uh, the two of them then just smashed through the window. <laughs> it's okay. The shards of glass falling to the ground are fine, but, you know. But, I mean, so much for being discreet. Yeah. <laughs> they probably, I mean, how this must have taken, like, well, it took a minute or so to do this. <laughs> There's not a chance that he's going to look through the window. I know. W- within that minute and see, you know, two guys cutting bars <laughs> off a window. I mean, you gotta think there had to be some racket cutting the bars and some vibrations that, you know, you take a look over at the window and see what's, or shadows moving in the window from the bars. Yeah. And you would see them. I mean, not the best way of entry here. No, not at all. And like you said, they might as well just, if they're gonna do that, just open the window normally or or try to, you know, do the whole, cut a hole in it and pop open the lock instead of smashing through it. I don't know. (laughs) So... They smash their way in. The Riddler tries to make a break for it, but Batman throws a smoke bomb in front of him. A lot of smoke bombs in this series. 
Yes. And it, it knocks him into a suit of armor displayed in the hallway. And Batman grabs a hold of him, rolls him onto his back, and tells him that he's now under arrest for armed robbery. And the Riddler laughs, he voluntarily holds up his wrist to be cuffed and says, You got me, Batman! As news photographers rush in out of nowhere to take pictures, much to Batman's surprise. Yes. <laughs> the, the Riddler laughs maniacally as Gideon Peel tells Batman and Robin that they have made a mistake. He tells them that the cross belongs to the Riddler and that he just lent it to the gallery for a show. And Batman's like, you know, I saw him take it from you at gunpoint. And the Riddler then pulls out his gun and fires it at Batman's face to show him <laughs> that it was nothing more than a cigarette lighter. Yeah, I, you know, I don't buy that. I don't know. <laughs> it's so stupid. It is stupid. I mean, come on. So, of course, seeing what just happened, Robin then realizes the answer to the riddle. The three men in the boat had four cigarettes, so they threw one cigarette overboard and made the boat lighter. a cigarette lighter. Yes. Which is you know, a dumb Bat riddle. <laughs> Batman is not at fault here. I mean, any pedestrian, you see someone pointing a gun... I mean, I, I would run away, but I mean, <laughs> any any hero pedestrian seeing someone point a gun at somebody, you have to assume that they're in danger. Sure. Correct. So you would not be at fault by any by any jury would not convict you or, or award anybody penalties if you were to. He didn't hurt the Riddler. He just, he just you know, apprehended them. Yeah. He, he just he saw the information he had in front of him and thought he, that guy was in, in mortal danger and took that appropriate action. He was being a good citizen. Again, I wouldn't have done it, but that's just me. <laughs> but um, yeah, exactly my thought. How he... could he be faulted for that? Right. You know? Even if it was a cigarette lighter, it's it's the impression. It'd be one thing if you couldn't see what he was holding, and it was a cig an actual cigarette lighter, mm -hmm. and not a gun-shaped cigarette lighter, but, you know. But still, he could even make the case. You know, this is a guy with a history. This is what I thought happened, and, you know, I'm very sorry, but... Give me a break. But instead, Batman is now in disbelief. You know, he was just out-riddled by the Riddler, and the Riddler tells him that that is why he brought witnesses with cameras. So the Riddler then hits them with another riddle. What is it that no man wants to have, yet no man wants to lose? And Robin instantly answers, a lawsuit! The Riddler then whistles for his lawyers, who walk in with a briefcase, and the Riddler laughs gleefully as he serves Batman with a lawsuit. What an exciting plot. To the first well, episode of Batman, a lawsuit. It's like the first episode of Star Wars, same thing. The politics and, the, you know, the whole thing. Oh, episode, oh, yeah, yeah. episode not... one. Oh, yeah, I not see. episode four, episode one. I get you, yeah. Um, but even, I mean, a judge would see this and Batman would say, you know, your honor, he had the lawsuit all prepared when I got there and this happened. Entrapment. Uh, entrapment. Yeah. I mean, you would see it, it would be thrown out of court immediately. <laughs> uh, uh, that's ridiculous. And the fact that he had, you know, the photographers there. Yeah, entrapment, and he has this idiot, you know, art collector as a uh, a, a witness, which might you know not work in his favor, but <laughs> still, this has no no bearing. This would not go anywhere in court, but apparently in Gotham City it will. So the Riddler tells them that after they've chewed on this one for a while, they should look for two more, and he bids them farewell with an adios, amigos. See you in court. He stumbles around the hallway and breaking a large vase in the process. The Peel Art Gallery could sue him for that. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this got whoa, a little whoa, more whoa. complicated. That was, that was in the Ming Dynasty, you know. <laughs> so Batman and Robin look at their lawsuit as we cut to commercial. Mm. 
So at this point, the show goes into a commercial break, so why don't we take this opportunity to take a commercial break ourselves, we'll pay some bills, and we'll be right back. Are you a cyborg? Do you yearn for the breakfast cereal you had during your human life? Well, now, there's the next best thing. Microcrisps. Each microcrisp has enough tungsten and tellurium to satisfy the power cell deficiency we equate to hunger, while minimizing the metallic taste commonly found in the leading industrial brands. Curse this human tongue! Breakfast is the most important download of the day, augmented with microcrisp. Why did they salvage my human tongue? And we're back! So when we return from commercial, we open back at Wayne Manor, where Bruce, Dick, and Alfred are watching the local news on TV, and the anchor explains that Batman and Robin have been sued by the Riddler for $1 million for assault, slander, and false arrest, adding that this lawsuit appears to have every chance of success. No, it doesn't, but <laughs> <know>. that's okay. <laughs> In this scene, we see that on the screen behind the TV news anchor, there is a still frame of the scene we just saw in the episode. <laughs> This picture was not taken by the photographers, but by the TV cameras filming the episode. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Well, no one's going to notice that, you know. <laughs> That's impossible, but. <laughs> the, the TV news anchor goes on to explain that Batman will now have to reveal his true identity in court. Again, you know, why, but okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. And there's actually other episodes of, of Batman where, you know, Batman does go to court, and he doesn't have to reveal his identity. <laughs> you know, so... That's just total nonsense, but okay. We see a stack of books on the coffee table, and Bruce tells Dick that he had been through all of his father's old law books, and it appears that there's no getting out of this lawsuit. Apparently, Dr. Wayne was also a lawyer, too. Yes, yes, I was going to mention that. was a doctor in the comics, yeah. Yeah. So Bruce tells Alfred that the problem is not the $1 million. Of course, you know, he's a very wealthy man. It's that he will no longer be able to fight crime. Everything that he's worked for since his parents were murdered is now in the ash can, or as he puts it, up the chute. <laughs> Funny turn of phrase. But uh, yeah, again, here's a mention of Batman's parents being murdered second time. Yep. Only episode. Yeah. Twice one episode, yep. So Dick picks up the lawsuit paperwork and looks at it for a moment. He tells Bruce that he has an idea. He tells Bruce that uh, as they were served those papers... The Riddler told them that there would be two others, as in, you know, two other clues. And the lawsuit is the only thing in their possession that the Riddler gave them. So suspecting that there might be secret writing on the papers, they rush to the Batcave. You know, it's like in this in this show, every hunch is correct. Yeah, I'm beginning to think that uh, Dick is working for the Riddler at this point. Instantly <laughs> <laughs> he knows the answer to the Riddles while even thinking. Yeah. You're answering too quickly, kid. Don't be so obvious. <laughs> yeah. And probably, he's probably ticked off that, you know, kept on asking about his, his uh, social life. <laughs> it's like, I gotta get, get rid of this guy. So we next get to the Batcave, where Batman and Robin analyze the papers with one of their many goofy uh, 1960s computers. Uh, yes. Batman is able to find secret writing between the lines on the document. And we get some more riddles here. It reads, when is the time of a clock like the whistle of a train? This is the stupidest one of the episodes, <laughs> yes. in my opinion. And Robin comes up with the quick answer, when it's two to two. And then, of course, he has to go, two, two, two. <laughs> and so that's correct. And Batman then finds another riddle hidden in the document that reads, what has neither flesh 
bone nor nail, yet has four fingers and a thumb. Which is not a bad riddle. I mean, uh, that's probably the best one of the episode. Sure. A glove. I mean, that's... But then, the, the leap of logic they make. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's 222 Glover Street. It's like, what? There's no there's no Glover or Glove art museum that they could have gone to. And, I mean, come on. It could be a person whose last name is Glover. Glover. Yeah, they automatically assume it's assume it's Glover Street. Yeah, or Glover Avenue. Avenue. Excuse yeah. Me. How do you? I mean, at least take the take, show a scene where they're looking through a you know a, a street map of Gotham or or doing so, looking through a phone book. <laughs> You know, and try to figure it out, or, you know, looking through, I don't know, something else. Anything, yes. But they automatically, oh, nope, it's Glover Street, Glover Avenue. It's like, what? Oh, they jump to on. the right answer every time. Right away, yep. And so after realizing this, they, they jump into the Batmobile, they speed back into Gotham City, hoping not to be too late. <laughs> so, from here, we next cut to this treasure-filled hideout where a group of men sit around a table as a lady named Molly, played by Jill St. John, dances to jazzy music and eats caviar out of a humongous jar. Yes. And the narrator tells us, Meanwhile, in an abandoned subway tool room deep under Gotham City, the secret headquarters of the infamous Molehill Mob. I like the big pipe going through the top of the building. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, they're, they're mole people, you know? It's, it's I know, underground. But- it wasn't designed very well, though. Mm. <laughs> and one of the mobsters warns Molly, you know, if you keep eating those high-calorie fish eggs, you won't be able to get through the manholes anymore. Burn. <laughs> so just then, the Riddler runs down the stairs, now, of course, in his full villain attire, the green bodysuit and the purple eye mask. And he t- Which I also love. Oh, I yeah. Mean, that's, that's fantastic. This is the classic look for the yes. Frank Gorshin Riddler, for sure. I mean, the, the John Aston Riddler, not my favorite... And he even had, like, a, a mustache. He wouldn't get rid of the mustache. Just wasn't the same. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I like the, the stretch. It's just casual, uh, you know, villain suit. <laughs> Away from the, the suit and the, the, you know, the jacket and everything. Yeah. When he's, into, when he's presenting law, fake lawsuits to people. <laughs> or invalid lawsuits, I should say, to people. Riddler's always the one of the most well-dressed. Uh, yeah, he's, he has a fashion sense. Although they all kind of wear suits in this, don't they? Like, Penguin has a pretty nice suit with tails and... Yeah, well, you know. Joker has a nice purple suit. Yeah, so there, you know, Catwoman has her outfit. <laughs> That's a whole um, different type of suit altogether. Yes, yes, I, you know, they're, they're pretty well dressed. For the 60s especially, I mean, they're they're right to the height of the fashion. Yeah. <laughs> but this looks comfortable. I mean, I'd like to be in the Riddler bodysuit. It looks like it's it's nice to wear, you know? It's freeing. It's freeing, it's, <laughs> you know, not constricting anyway. Not at all. And so um, he tells the group that Batman has had enough time to work on the clue and it's time to head to the tunnel. So I love that he just like, all right, we'll give them three hours and they will automatically get this. You know, they will make these humongous leaps of logic, like you're saying, and they'll know exactly where to meet up. I got a question. Why are why are goons like generic goons like we see in this, this scene? They're always playing poker. Yes. There's nothing else. They, they can be reading a book, you know, or... <laughs> Studying for the GED or something. I mean, they're always just, they're always, always playing poker. Yep. No matter what. It's every scene. Every time you see these guys, they're playing poker. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, well, the, the henchmen have to do something, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's just, they could be advancing themselves to try to get out of being a goon, but. <laughs> so as we see them run through the subway tunnel, we hear the narrator ask about what uh, trickery the fiendish Riddler and his evil molehill mob are up to now. Uh, We next see the sign for Glover Avenue, and cutting to the awning in front of number 222, we see that it is the address for the new discotheque named What a Way to Go-Go. 
a place described by Batman as a favorite haunt of high society. Yeah, the sign looks really well kept, so I would say that's probably, you know, <laughs> the quality place. I would probably turn right around if you saw this. And the doorman informs Batman and Robin that uh, Robin cannot enter because he is underage, as we, we talked about. And Batman agrees it is the law and suspects that it could be just a plot to separate them, but they go along with it anyway. Sorry, chum. Now, is Robin's age, like, well-known to the public? That he would just Apparently. go, yeah, Robin's too young. Like, how does he know? Oh, he can't show any ID, I mean, so I guess, yeah. you know, he can't fight it. But Batman's not showing ID either, you know? Well, I mean, they I guess they assume that Batman's of age, yeah. or 21, or 18, whatever the case may be. Yeah. But you think they could, you know, get some kind of special police, something, you know, to allow them to go into places like this? Or, or you know, make up a fake ID. I mean, I yeah, know. no kidding. I mean, this would never. Imagine like the um the newer Batman movies, even the 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 crappier ones with uh you know Robin. <laughs> I'm thinking of uh like Batman Batman Forever, Batman, Forever, Batman, Batman and Robin, Forever. Batman Robin, Batman Forever. Um, <laughs> do you think they would have never put up with this nonsense? No. Imagine them, that Batman and Robin going in and they have to go into a a place called, you know, What a Way to Go-Go or something like this, (laughs) you know. And the guy stops and, oh, I'm sorry, uh, you know, Robin, you can't, you're not 21. They would have beaten the crap out of him (laughs) and and gone in, I mean, or gone through the skylight or something. I mean, this is is why it's it's very campy. And, you know, again, it has two purposes. To show, you know, of course, the story. And also, and to advance the story, so they're separated, and also to give this positive message to the the youngsters out there that oh, you gotta always obey the law. Yeah, you know, Batman and Robin always obey the law. It's true; they yeah. always do. This, this is a very funny scene. Sorry, chum, you have to stay in the car. You know, it's like what? It, it's it gets even funnier from here because they they plan to have Robin pull the Batmobile into the parking lot and just watch on the Bat scope. Yeah, it's like a yeah. little screen. And you notice, like, Robin pulls the Batmobile forward, like, literally 10 feet. Like, <laughs> the, the parking lot is, like, right there on this little set. It is hilarious. He's like, the, uh, you're going to have to the, park. He's just like, Burp! and then he's there. <laughs> you expect the, uh, you know, the maitre d' to come out or the, you know, the guys who park the cars to be like, no, no, come on. You have to go. We have our cars coming in here. Yeah, the valet. You have to go yeah. around the corner. The valet is like, come, you have to go, you know, over there, you know. <laughs> what are you doing? You see a scene of, you know, Robin trying to find a parking spot that'll fit the bat, you know, the Batmobile. <laughs> Other cars pulling in, parallel parking. A stupid setup for a parking lot there. Yeah. So, uh, Batman goes inside. <laughs> he enters the club with go-go music playing, and people gather around him in interest. You know, Batman is pretty well known in the city. Uh, he's somewhat of a celebrity. <laughs> it's the most awkward looking scene. It, it really is. Through. He's so out of place here, and he's, you know, people are looking at him. Oh, Batman. He, he walks up to the bar, and he orders a large, fresh orange juice. Because, kids, Batman doesn't drink. He does not. The bartender is a member, of course, of the Molehill Mob. We can recognize him from the earlier scene. And next to him, at the sitting at the bar, is Molly, Jill St. John's character. So she immediately asks Batman another riddle. Why is a quarrel like a bargain? And then... She immediately answers her own question, it takes two to make it. Like dancing, which she then proposes. Oy, oy, oy. It's so stupid. So, Batman takes a drink of his Batman Special, which is evidently another name for a large glass of orange juice around Gotham. <laughs> and he tells Molly that, strangely, she interests him. 
and he <laughs> accepts her invitation to dance. And here, and I didn't realize this was in the pilot episode, we get an amazing moment in the history of this entire series. Batman dancing a dance called the Batusi. Possibly the best dance ever created, ever. Yeah, how would you describe this dance? It's almost beyond description. <laughs> but the, the main basic feature of it is Batman doing some gyrations and dance moves and putting his hands in front of his eye in V-shapes. Yes. And moving them away. Very similar to the Watutsi, which is based on. Mm-hmm. Because everything has to be called Bat, it's called the bat And I believe, isn't that what's done in Pulp Fiction when John Travolta and Uma Thurman's characters dance? Don't they do the bat Ab- Absolutely. Yes, yeah. they do. Absolutely. So it just shows you how culturally impactive this whole series is. Yes. And I, I think this happens a f- couple times in the series. Only a few. They don't overuse the bat <laughs> Even though they're probably tempted to many times. Oh, sure. What Batman does is the bat which has become, has its own Wikipedia entry. Bat really? <laughs> Not the Watusi. Watusi also does, but the Bat Tusi has its own Wikipedia entry. I'm assuming that what the bartender put in his drink was probably ecstasy. <laughs> That's just a guess. Because he's acting awfully happy at that point. It's very awkward. Going back to the bar, you know, the bartender should have said, you know, this is a, a bar. We don't have orange juice <laughs> in a bar. No, yeah, sure, you got to make screwballs, so. Uh, okay, well, you know. yeah, I guess. <laughs> Nobody wants a fresh squeeze, too. So it's a like, fresh squeeze. Imagine being a member of the Mohill Mob, and it's like, all right, whatever he orders, I'm just going to spike it. And he's like, uh, fresh squeezed orange juice, please. And it's like, oh, now i got to do work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure, yeah, Batman. We'll get right on that. I can see him go in the back room and takes out a carton of, uh, you know, OJ. And <laughs> fresh squeeze, all right. Spits in it. <laughs> <laughs> Making me oh, squeeze oranges. <laughs> It'd be funny if they had a scene of a guy in the back, one of the members of the Mulholl gang, sitting at a table, and he has, like, 15 orange peels around him. <laughs> it's like, the, the glass is, like, a quarter full. Uh, I gotta do like, what? Oh, he's, like, arms shaking his arm because it's in pain. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> so, cutting to the parking lot, uh, we see Robin watching Batman dance on the screen, and he's just, like, snapping his fingers to the music. He's really getting into it, too. And as the valet drives a car out of the parking lot, we see the Riddler popping up from a secret hatch in the pavement. And uh, Batman, you know, cutting back to him, he's continuing to dance with Molly. We see from his perspective that his vision is blurring, and he realizes that his drink has been doped. (laughs) Ladies scream in horror as Batman now collapses to the floor. So seeing all of this transpire on the Batscope screen, of course, I, I think we need to mention, too, that every component of the uh panel in the front you know of the dashboard of the batmobile is individually labeled as well yes more evidence of bruce's ocd <laughs> but you know my question is where is this camera be- taping yes, the bat scope exactly I mean, is there a guy that they hire is alfred in there in the sky <laughs> incognito like i could see that with like one of, one of those 60s you know cameras that weighs like 87 pounds and it's on his shoulder and there's wires hanging off of it yeah yeah don't worry, Master Dick. I'm I'm behind him. <laughs> a lot of wireless technology in this series. Yeah, yeah. So Robin now activates an anti-theft function on the Batmobile. But just as he climbs out, the Riddler shoots him in the shoulder with a tranquilizer dart. Now, the anti-theft function involves the label for the anti-theft button to be disguised as the start button, which I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah. Using the, the labels against them. <laughs> <laughs> So, rushing over, the Riddler meets up with Molly and the other mob member at the Batmobile, 
The Riddler says he'll take the Batmobile, while Molly and the other guy are instructed to just use the manhole. And so the Riddler jumps into the driver's seat next to the passed out Robin, presses the false start button, and signal fireworks shoot out of the pipes on the back of the Batmobile. Wrong answer, chum. <laughs> so the Riddler then abandons his original plan. He decides, okay, I'll go too. He takes Robin down the manhole with the rest of the mob. And, uh, but he, before he goes down, he throws a, an incendiary device inside of the Batmobile. But uh, that is very short-lived as the Batmobile's own firefighting defenses extinguish the flames. Uh, the Riddler yells, Curses! It's got more lives than a cat! You know, what was he trying to, to solve by destroying the Batmobile at this point? I know, it's just like, eh. I mean, uh, seriously, like, what was he trying? <laughs> I, I don't understand that. Just to make it harder for Batman to get to him, I guess. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm, yeah, he's got to take the subway back to, you know, like Batcave or something. <laughs> So, finally, as police sirens are heard in the distance, uh, the Riddler and Molly go down the manhole. And just as they leave, Batman, still tipsy, runs out of the club to find the Batmobile empty. And the police pull up next to the Batmobile as Batman tries to get in. And with slurred speech, Batman tells the officers to get out of his way because they got Robin. <laughs> they don't let him go. <laughs> <laughs> The police officers tell Batman, yeah, you're in no condition to drive, and they ask for his keys, which he does. So another another fine example of Batman. Yeah. And the Batmobile has keys, apparently, so that it, the start button was a ruse, mm -hmm. has to be started by keys. It would be funny if they had a scene of him doing a, I imagine Batman doing the field sobriety test, <laughs> you know, walking the line and putting his, doing the Batusi and his face as he's walking down the line. Yeah. Okay, we passed those. Let's, let's have you blow the breath breathalyzer. <laughs> so, Batman ha hands his keys over. At that very moment, the police officers look up and they see the bat signal in the night sky and decide that with Batman being in the shape that he's in, it's for the best that they don't tell him. So, uh, we get some great drunk acting by Adam West here. <laughs> he's a master of the drunk acting. Yes. Especially as he asks, where do they got Robin or something like that. <laughs> It's really funny. My drink doped. <laughs> so this fades to black and we cut to commercial. So when we return, we see Robin being wheeled in flat on his back down to the hidden lair of the molehill mob. And following Riddler's orders, they strap Robin to a table as the sound of subway trains rumble nearby. They wheel over a tray of surgical tools and the Riddler tells the boy wonder that he and the Cape Crusader are now set for their final bow. He then slowly tightens a clamp around Robin's head. And uh, at this very suspenseful moment, we now get on-screen text as the narrator speaks to us as the viewer. Will Robin escape? Can Batman find him in time? Is this the ghastly end of our dynamic duo? Answers tomorrow night. Same time, same channel. And of course, later, this was changed to same bat time, same bat channel. And then we get one hint. The worst is yet to come. And as the Riddler smiles and tightens the vice around Robin's head, the episode fades to black and we get the closing credits. I wonder if there's actually a kid out there when I said, you know, the worst is yet to come. He's thinking, oh, Robin's going to die. <laughs> no, <laughs> there's no way he's getting out of this. I love how the goons in this scene have those old-fashioned doctory um, headlamp-type things. Yep. I don't even know what they're used for, honestly. But they're all, they all have them, except for one, except for the bartender. <laughs> all the rest of them, you know, they're wearing jackets and, you know, 
neck scarves and stuff, and they have these these things on, like they're going to be forming actual surgery here, you know. Yeah. And the Riddler, I noticed, also he took off his mask. Like, you know, why would well, why why would you, you know? Well, I don't think he cares because he remember he didn't have it on at the gallery. So yeah, I, I mean, everyone knows what he looks like. He doesn't. Then why care. bother having it? That's why I say. Oh, I know, I know. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> A lot of it makes no sense. <laughs> and so this is one of the. Another hallmark of these, you know, two-parters. At the end of part one, you have a cliffhanger like this, where pretty much there's no way Batman or Robin or Batman and Robin survive the scenario. Yeah. There's like they're, no they're way. Both dead. But of course, they always do. Like I said, there must have been one gullible kid out there who thought every week that they're going to die. <laughs> Little Billy, and he goes this next day to school. You know, did you see Batman yesterday? They're going to die. And after a while, his friends are like, you know... They're not going to die, you idiot. You know. <laughs> I think this is the one. This is the one. They're, they're, they're definitely, they can't get away from that buzzsaw. They're yeah, dead. I was thinking that too. There's always one with like a, they're heading towards a buzzsaw down a conveyor belt. Yeah, they're, they're going to die. There's no way you can get out of that. They always do. They always yeah. do. Don't give it away. Oh, come on. For the uh, next... <laughs> 120 episodes, yes. 119 did not feature Batman or Robin. I gotta make a confession. I was that kid who actually uh, used to think that, you know. <laughs> well, watching this, you know, I always knew that they were going to get out of it, of course, but I was always very interested in seeing how. And it was always something so cheap. Yeah. Like, I, I guess we can spoil it. Uh, you know, if you've seen Batman the Motion Picture that, you know, came out in uh, in the 60s, there's that scene with the shark. And, oh, that was the stupidest thing. And Batman and Robin are tied to, what, a buoy, right? A buoy, yeah. And is it is it a radio-controlled shark or something where the shark would hit them and explode or something? I, it had dynamite in there. I don't know if it was radio-controlled or, or had, like, a mental thing on it. So I forget. Basically, they were going to get hit by the shark. And you see this explosion, and, of course, they're okay. And it's like, well, how did they get out of that? And that's where, you know, Batman's like, oh, that noble porpoise to sacrifice his life. To yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> they actually have a bat, like, anti-shark spray. Yes. Oh, yeah. It, it's labeled in big letters, of course, anti-shark spray or bat, bat. It's like, what? Do you have every single possible thing up there? Do you have an anti-bear spray, you know, an anti-mongoose uh, you know, spray? Yeah. You just happen to have the anti-shark spray. <laughs> oh, it's so great. Yeah, it, it's it's very, again, very campy, very fun. But it, it I think, mimics the comics pretty well because that also happened in the actual comic books. They had these stupid situations. And they were able to get out, especially the, you know, the older Golden Age and Silver Age comics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Batman. They had to figure out stupid ways for them to get out of these things. And they were, you know, beyond belief. <laughs> just like, this is beyond belief. It's funny because it's not played up for laughs at all, which I think is just so great and so brilliant. Uh, great uh, acting by Adam West, you know, playing everything deadpan and so yeah. deathly serious in every situation. Even though he's dancing the Batusi and he's stumbling around like, you know, like he's drunk. And, you know, he's in this really goofy version of the Batman suit with the eyebrows painted on the cowl. Yeah, yeah. But he is playing this like he is a stone cold detective trying to solve a very serious crime. And it just makes for a brilliant performance throughout the the whole three seasons of the show. I wonder if he ever got offended. Because, you know, people had to, like, after the taping, he'd probably walk around Hollywood and, you know, all proud of himself doing this serious performance of Batman. And people were just, like, <laughs> just cracking up about it. And, they, you know, 
complimenting him. Hey, you know, Adam, that was a great, that was so funny, that, you know, episode. But he's like, oh, I, you know, what? <laughs> I'm a serious actor, you know? It's not so a like, comedy. It's not a comedy. What are you talking about? <laughs> You're missing the whole point of the thing. I don't know. I think he had to be in on the joke because, I mean, it's a, it is a primetime children's show, so it's, it was pretty much a, a family show, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, I think he took it a little too serious. Took it very seriously. Well, fortunately for all of us, he did take it very seriously yes. because it made for just an amazing performance each and every week. Well, twice a week, really. I mean, I think now he definitely knows, you know, is in on the goof. I wonder back then, though. I mean, he was a relatively young man, had his acting job, you know, a popular show. I, I'm just curious. I don't know. I don't I, know. I, I like to be a fly in the wall when he was in his dressing room. Why do you keep laughing at me? <laughs> Looking at the statue of William Shakespeare. William, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a classically trained actor. Why are they laughing at my performance? Well, as we talked about in our Look Well episode, which, you know, please go back into our archives and oh, absolutely. Ch- check out our, our episode where we talk about Look Well. He mentions Look Well was his favorite pilot that he ever did. So he evidently liked working with Conan O'Brien and Robert Smigel more than he did working with Burt Ward and Alan Napier. Uh, that's I, I, I'm thinking that he thought this was a very serious role. I, I just have that impression. Yeah, I mean, he definitely had that, you know, going into it, I'm sure. It came out in his performance. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's kind of like, you know, a whole Leonard Nimoy who didn't want to be associated with Spock after the fact. You know what I mean? Yeah. He actually had made, wrote a famous book that he, you know, didn't want to be known. I think the title was I Am Not Spock or yes. something like that. Yes. With a follow-up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I actually am Spock because, you know, I found out that it makes me money. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he was at that point where he's like, I'm sure he played that very seriously, but that was kind of, Star Trek was kind, the original series was kind of a goofy show in some yeah. cases. I bet if you look at the, I, if you look at every series from that time period, there's one actor who thinks it was the most serious role in the world, but really wasn't. You, you can't always hear of it. There's always one actor who's too big for the show, you know, and thought should have been played a different way. I guess what the first question will be when I meet Adam West. What were you thinking? <laughs> no, I'll say, what was your feelings about the Batman show? When you first on, do you think you take it seriously? Security. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. I'll be escorted out of the auditorium. And, yes. You know, no kidding. Have the right to re- Every, all, The whole line behind you. Boo! Yeah. Get out of the way. <laughs> no, but this. I'm glad we're we're covering this now because this is just a show that that I've always loved, and I'm glad that we're able to go ahead and revisit it. Uh, Fifty years now after it's you know 50 plus. Uh, yeah. You know, January I think will be. Uh, 51 years as we are recording this and it just still holds up you know as being just this fun campy show and still something that resonates with people you know culturally yes, all absolutely. these years later it, it's if you've never seen it which i i doubt i mean unless you're living under a rock or in a cave somewhere which if you are that's perfectly fine a bad cave a bad cave <laughs> <laughs> yeah just just try one of these episodes out i mean even I implore you to buy the the box set. I mean, they're not much money, honestly, to buy the, the season. I'm sure, they may even have it on iTunes. I don't know. I think so. Yeah, you can, yeah. You can get it on iTunes. You can get the DVD sets. If you get them on DVD like Sean and I have, there's actually four that you can buy individually or one DVD box set. There's also yeah. the Blu-rays, uh, which and then there's like a special Blu-ray set that comes with a little toy Batmobile. And uh, yeah, so there's a whole bunch of ways that you can now acquire this. You don't have to wait for a new channel to start up and, and acquire it in syndication. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just just uh, check it out. I mean, there's clips on YouTube. Don't go to the whole full episodes on YouTube. De- definitely buy it or check out the movie, which is on, again, Netflix. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. The movie, I think, is, is a good starting point, to be honest with you. Just because you you see it's a movie and it's like a, a three-hour, two-hour-long episode. And it has all the villains, I believe. Yeah, it has four teaming up in it, which is great. Yeah, you know, you have Cesar Romero as the Joker. Uh, the Riddler's in there, right? Oh, yeah. Catwoman. Yeah, but it's it's worth a watch, definitely. So, of course, you may be asking, what happens to Robin? Does he live? Does he die? Do, do Batman and Robin end as superheroes? Uh, what happens in part two? Well, stay tuned for part two of the story. We will be covering Smack in the Middle very soon, so don't worry. We won't leave you hanging too long. Yes, he dies, by the way. Shh. <laughs> And that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, things that you've labeled, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Now, Sean, do you have anything you want to plug? Yeah, we have a uh, YouTube channel um, that's not Hitting Play, but it's called The Three Blind Mice. It is basically Minecraft videos. My son and myself like doing Minecraft videos, and there are some videos of myself and Scott on there playing Minecraft, which I hope we'll get to again in the near future doing some more Minecraft stuff. One other plug I have is, of course, AdamWest.com. Check that out. See uh, Adam's work, you know, see a biography of Adam. Also, he has some things for sale and his appearances in the future. So check that out. Oh, very good. That's that's about it for today. Alrighty. I am on Twitter. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I am also on Vine, even though it's going away. And uh, my name there is also MC and Friends. There I do flip page cartoons, little humorous animations. And like I said, Vine is going away. So I've also moved to Instagram. So please follow me on Instagram. My name there is MC underscore and underscore Friends. There I post a lot of my drawings as well as some of the uh, flip page animations. So check me out there as well. Uh, If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. For Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio, as well as the Google Play Music app, so please check us out on those platforms as well. I've also heard that it's good if you favorite us on Stitcher. So if you are one of our Stitcher listeners, uh, please set us as a favorite if you haven't already. Uh, For some reason, that's a good thing. I don't know what it does, but it's a good thing. But, uh... Also, if you have a Roku device, you can download the TuneIn Radio channel and set Hitting Play as a favorite. And as we post these episodes, they are available to stream right over your television. Yes. Well, we have been Sean and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. So stay tuned. Same bad time. Same bad podcast. Batman!